Hi, this is Amber, and you're listening to Amber on Podcast. Hi, hi, hi. Hello, and welcome to episode number 134 of Amber on Podcasts. I'm your host, Amber Camille Ligon, and this podcast is all about doing more good for you and more good for more people. Thank you so much for joining me. The purpose of this show is to share the best information to help you live a better life so you can spend more time living and less time searching. Dear listeners, I am in a period of transition. There have been a lot of changes for me over the past few months as I am moving into a new period in my life. This is draining, exciting, confusing, stressful, and joyful all at the same time, and it creates a lot of strain on my resources, on my health, on my voice, which is what you hear now, my poor, poor voice trying, trying so hard to go out on me. I look at this as a sign that I need to talk less and spend more time reflecting, thinking, reading, being still so that I can heal my body and be prepared for the next chapter in my life that I am oh so, 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 so excited about. My goal with this show is not to sound preachy and tell you what you should do and what you should not do. My goal is to have lessons and stories that help remind us of what we need to do to feel good about ourselves and about our lives. If I didn't have this show holding me accountable each week, I would learn a lesson or two and then completely forget about it. But the way to change your thoughts and your habits is through repetition and exposure. Each week, I show up and admit that I know nothing so that I can learn something. No matter how many episodes I make about living my best life, I am never going to be finished. Everything I share on Amber on Podcasts is part of my practice and something I'm trying to improve on. One thing I have had to revisit time and time again is my relationship with social media, the internet, my phone, when and how I use it. I will have good weeks and really bad weeks, and I can tell the difference in how I feel based on how much I am looking at my phone. I need to be reminded of the impact it has on me, or before I know it, I'll be spending four, five, six hours on my phone per day, and I'll start noticing. I'm feeling more anxious, more depressed, less satisfied with my life overall. Maybe you've noticed that this conversation has been happening more widely as more people start to feel these same effects. Plus, there is a great new documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma, which talks about the internet, internet usage, and the impact it is having on our brains and on our lives. To help me be the best me and to help you be the best you, I am re-releasing one of the earliest episodes of Amber on Podcasts, where I talk about the work of Tristan Harris, who is also featured in the Social Dilemma documentary on Netflix. In this episode, I talk about how we are allowing our phones to rule our lives and what we can do to take control back. 
the importance of seeing the world beyond the curated view we see online, and how our thoughts throughout the day are dictated by the screens we are constantly checking. If you haven't yet, please take a moment to subscribe to the show. Every Thursday, I release a new episode, and I would love to have you join me. Now, let's get down to the good stuff, and let's start the show. This time, this round, we're going to talk about an episode of the TED Radio Hour. The TED Radio Hour was well, an hour long, as you know, noted by the title. And also, it, the, the focus of the show is to cover TED Talks. And TED Talks are delivered throughout the world by noteworthy speakers, movers, shakers, doers, thinkers, and philosophers. Great people who do really interesting, innovative, inspiring work. And if you don't want to go watch them all online, you can listen to the TED Radio Hour, which takes each TED Talk by subject matter and compiles them into a, an hour show where they cover um, a major topic by using the, the individual TED Talks as an example. So in this episode, it's really good. It's so good, in fact, that I listened to it multiple times and not just in preparation for this podcast, but because I found it to be such a helpful reminder. Let's start with the first thing, which is when I decided to choose myself, which I cover a little bit in some of the other episodes and in the intro, but when I decided to choose myself and live a life that's dedicated to my happiness and my life's work and what I believe my sole purpose is for the time being in this world, when I made that commitment, I followed some people that have come before me, many, many, and took their advice. And I started to use their tools that they suggested for their own success. And I found them incredibly useful and incredibly life-changing. And one of the key ones is is to choose your five, to know that the, the you are the average of the five people around you. This is a quote that you hear most often. And that's a really great quote, but I actually like the further description, which is you are the average of the five things that you surround yourself with. Because things, cover, you know, your work or your email or the the way that you use the internet, the content you watch on Netflix, the music that you listen to, and so on. So for me, what I found is that it was really important that I construct the right five so that I could have this choose me lifestyle that I am dedicated to. So choosing my five meant that I had to really identify what was or wasn't contributing to my lifestyle. So the way that I tend to, and it's not as black and white as this, but I tend to categorize them as enriching or degrading. And it applies to people as much as it applies to experiences. And that's where we start off here with this episode of the TED Radio Hour. And in this episode, they're talking about the internet. And one of the guests that he interviews, his name is Tristan Harris. Tristan is one of my favorite, favorite minds of all time. He's really, really bright. I suggest listening to his TED Talk or watching his TED Talk on, I'll have that information in the show notes, but you can look at it at ted.com yeah ted.com so tristan harris he is the formal formal the formal former the former google design ethicist so design ethicist meaning that google had someone in place to make sure that they were designing ethical products and services therein so we all are familiar with the algorithms that google has in place for different search seo search engine optimization and you know you can pay to be at the top of the list or you can use certain keywords and things like this these things change all the time of course. But it was Tristan, Mr. Tristan Harris's responsibility at the time. He's no longer there. But it was his responsibility to look at these things 
and decide exactly how they should be managed. For, I mean, we're talking about for Google, so let's just say for the internet as a whole. It's very, it's a powerful and huge job. I can't imagine, I mean, it sounds really, really fun, but at any rate, it's a really big responsibility to have. So what Tristan discusses in his TED Talk and on this episode is three elements that are, he says, missing from the conversation. I wouldn't really say that they're missing from the conversation at this point. His talk was given quite some time ago, but I would say that they're present, but they aren't looked at perhaps the way that I approach them. So the three topics that, or the three points that he makes concerning the internet or, you know, your smartphone or Google or social media, whatever it may be, it's all comprising into one umbrella. And a lot of people may call this umbrella the big five, you know, meaning like Amazon, Google, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. I don't know who I'm missing, you know, what I'm talking about. He mentions that all of these platforms, the entire idea of the internet and being connected is completely totalizing, meaning that it affects every single part of your day. And one of the best ways to put this, and it's sort of a top line way that he describes it, but he says, we don't access our smartphones. We live by our smartphones. So when I heard that quote, I thought, okay, what do we access? You access an ATM. You may access like the portal when you go vote or you go like to the DMV website or something like this, but you don't live by those things. You don't consult, you know, the ATM. Well, sort of, I guess you do on, but not the same way. You don't consult the ATM and you don't consult, you know, the other things that you access as a portal for your daily life decisions and experiences, whereby in the morning, most people roll over, pick up the phone, each bathroom break, each line we're waiting in, it's like 150 times per day on average, 2 billion people, 2 billion people are engaging on their device, on the internet in some, in some way. That's a hell of a lot of action. That's a pretty serious relationship. And yes, okay, we can all acknowledge that. Fine, that's really, really boring. But he mentions that it's completely totalized and so it's all compromising. And then the second one being that it's social. Your friends are there. And at this point, it's, you know, do you want to see what's going on with your friends? It's a very, very addicting, pleasurable but not so much. You know, everybody's doing it and you want to be involved with other people. We, as a species, want to have a tribe. And, you know, that's a lot of the reason why we found the internet was founded to begin with is because the, we wanted to find more people who had information for us or that we wanted to share or questions that we wanted to ask. And we wanted to connect with other people outside of the people that we had daily access to in our everyday lives, the people that we saw each day, which it has given us the ability to do so. But I argue, and as does Tristan Harris, that that's not what we're using it for. You know, we've really just managed to limit our scope even narrow, more narrowly on the internet. And that is because this social network, totalizing social network or industry that's totalizing rather, is intelligent. And that's the third point that he brings up. It's intelligent, it's personal, and it gets better every single day. So the best way that I can really explain it is to compare it to another experience in our lives. So, you know, the internet, these platforms, social media, whatever, Facebook, they're always learning and it's their job to keep you there. They want to give you more of what makes you click. Every time you click, they're like, oh, she likes that. He likes that. Let's give them more of that. You know, if that were going on when you were, let's say, shopping at Target and every time you pick something up, you know, for more than two seconds, somebody was following around and noting it. And then at the end cap of all the aisles, you'd come around and there'd be some other version of the of the item that you looked at just a moment ago. And then, you know, towards the end, they just throw all these. This is a never changing thing. So with, before you check out, there's just a, a myriad of different people waiting there, different, you know, stands with all these items for you to select from, like as if those little add ons at the cash register weren't enough. 
you know, we have the gum and the candy, like batteries, hand sanitizer, like that random shit that's up there. And now imagine that the time you return to Target after this experience where they've been following you around and figuring out exactly what it is that you like and don't like and offering you different variations on what it is that you have given them to work with. The next time you go into the Target, they just have exactly what they have selected for you. Special right up front. And you get so excited because you're looking at all the cool new stuff they have and the different color of your favorite tank top. And you don't even make it to the back of the store because you're so excited to see everything that's been customized just for you with all these different options. You never make it back and see the rest of of what there is to offer. And that's essentially what's going on with the internet. You know, each time we get on and we're giving clicks, we're giving more and more information to let them know what it is that keeps us there so that we see more of the same and there's not a lot of variety. You know, I remember when Instagram used to have their search page or their homepage, I don't know what it's called, but it would show you, you know, other shit that's going on around the world. I think it was ranked maybe on the top, the most liked things or something like this. I'm not really sure, but at some point this changed and it became just the results of my own searches and my own likes and uh, the people that I was following. And it just got so narrowed down. And now all I see are, you know, bodybuilders, fit girls, Kim Kardashian and like Cardi B, essentially, which is what I already know. I was excited to see what the rest of the world had to offer, what else was going on. For the same reason that, you know, I on YouTube, for example, I like to look at the trending videos and just kind of get an idea of what's out there because I really, I don't know any other way, you know, I mean, aside from traveling or something like this, it's not, you're not going to get that experience from the internet. It's just not there for that. I mean that it's not, it's not there for that and that it's not meant to diversify you. It's not meant to enlighten you in any way. And, and I think that that's the common misconception that we have with internet use is that we think somehow we're getting something out of it, that it's expanding our horizons when in fact it's actually doing the opposite. And studies have shown that no matter your circumstance, whether you had Facebook before or didn't have Facebook or social media before, when people start using it, start using Facebook and start becoming actively engaged and start looking at it, you know, on a daily basis. Studies have shown that that it makes you less happy. It makes you depressed. It's not adding anything, enriching anything in your life. And again, it's it's meant to keep you there. So, you know, no one can really outwill the internet. You have to make a conscious effort in order to realize exactly what it is that you're looking at and how you're constructing your five and then limit your time that you actually engage on it and the time that you have spent on it. You know, I'm talking about not using your phone and not being on the internet, but there are some really handy apps that allow you to track the time that you spend on your phone. You know, how much are you spending on social media? How much are you spending on email? What have you? The thing that I really like about those and I think is useful, despite that they still use your phone, is that I heard one gentleman in an interview recently talk about his app and at the three hour mark when he has spent three hours on his phone, it starts alarming and beeping at him and it's saying, you know, you're, you've met your quota for the day. I think that that might be a better way to manage it instead of just, you know, selecting specific time and, you know, and scheduling time throughout the day. I think that having that alarm would, would be helpful for a lot of people. So I, I understand how that works. I think it's a very helpful tool, however, to just help you be aware of what it is that you're exposing yourself to. Because the images that we see on the screen, the videos, the information, it affects who you are. That becomes your five. And like I said, nobody gets to opt out of this choice. So it's the way our brains are constructed. This is how we are as a species. So the best that we can do is just to be conscious of it and put practices in place that can help us manage it better so that it is actually being used as a tool and not a lifestyle. And that's probably the clearest way to put it is that the internet and social media, this is a, it's a tool. It's a networking tool for, for the most part. That's how it's used. 
And in so much, the fact that it is a networking tool, I would argue that there are a lot of missed networking opportunities given our allegiance to this one tool. I think it's easy to, to give an example, lots of examples, but one that I find most often. It's happened to me many, many times. I, how do I put this? When I was single, when I am single, when I'm single, I don't, I, you know, you meet a lot of people on the weekend and maybe you go on a trip or, you know, whatever. So you meet a lot of people uh, when you're single, especially, and you're hanging out with other single people and, you know, you get friend requests um, over the weekend or, you know, if you're on Bumble or Tinder or something like this, you might even get more requests. Point being, when I get these requests, and I see this person. Oh, yes. Okay. I have some recollection. Okay. I remember meeting this person last weekend at a party. I was drunk, maybe, probably. And when I see them out, not in the same location, like we're at the grocery store or Starbucks or something like this. And, you know, let's say I just looked at my phone and I saw that they put an update recently and I saw a photo of them. So they're fresh in my mind and I, and I remember what they look like. I arrive at the grocery store or Starbucks and I look at them like, is that my friend from Facebook? I think we're friends on Facebook. And I hesitate for a minute to say, hey, are we friends on Facebook? Whatever your name is. And what's really funny is that if people don't use their real name on Facebook, then I don't even really know how to address them. Gav, great. Like, what is, is that? Do you have an eight in your name? At any rate, point being is that I actually rarely ever do this. 99% of the time, I just avert my eyes, see if they'll notice. And, you know, usually I get like a little curious glance and then they do the same. And we don't talk to each other. Where we should be talking to each other. It's like being friends on the computer doesn't translate to real life. It's not the same relationship. We're just computer friends. So I think of it this way. When we are engaging on text and email, that's the practice and communication that we are actively participating in. And we're not participating in some other style of communication. You're sacrificing one for the other. And I think that most people are slowly or quickly getting less and less savvy and skilled at having real face-to-face conversations where you're looking the person in the eye and you can read, you know, all the nuances of their body language and really understand exactly what it is that they're saying or if they are understanding what it is that you are saying. I used to be very, very, very adamant about only having serious conversations with friends, family members, whatever, fights, you know, discussions, whatever topic needed to be discussed. If it was something that I had great value in and had a a serious impact on the outcome of the next steps, I always say I will only do it on the phone or face-to-face. I I basically try to force people into this arrangement with me, which does not work because nobody wants to be forced into a style of communication that they haven't selected on their own or aren't comfortable with. And, you know, I I would often say that having a face-to-face conversation is the best way, like that's the right way. You know, texting or something like this is is disrespectful in a way, or, you know, you're, you're showing that you don't really care that much to take the time out and have a an actual conversation. Now, I think that that's probably because I am more comfortable having a face-to-face conversation and I feel like I can be understood better and and understand better in a face-to-face conversation. However, I realize that other people aren't that way and I'm reformed. I don't think, I don't, I no longer believe that you have to do it my way. And I believe there is a lot of skill in being able to convey your feelings the right way via text. If you're a good writer and you have practice at explaining your feelings to someone else in that format, great. That's a skill that is learned and acquired. However, that has not been my experience with people. I don't feel that text or email is enhancing anyone's communication skills. And I think the opposite is actually true. And when I was working at my last job, it was a huge, huge problem among the client relationship and the staff that the sales team and everyone had a really challenging time having these face-to-face meetings with the clients. And it really paralyzed them because they didn't have the wherewithal to really be able to engage in a conversation. Instead, they would take notes 
and send everything in a follow-up email a day or two later, which, as we all know, does not have the same effect at all. If you choose to manage it, if you choose to communicate that way, it doesn't have the same impact. An email, a text, not have the same impact as a real conversation, especially when it's in front of a, a, a group of people. So we are inevitably going to have more of these conversations. It's going to be required of us to be able to speak to one another face-to-face. And, and remember that even though you're using your phone or your computer, you're still speaking to a person. And that's why I'm so passionate about it because, you know, a lot of the personal, the empathy, the understanding, the human to human, the tribe building, all of that is lost when there's a superficial connection and we're only commenting on on photos and, and you know, 140 characters and you're not really getting, you're not getting any, any depth there. And when you're choosing one style of communication over another and choosing to spend your time one way versus another you are not selecting other options and therefore you're not growing or expanding or practicing everything that you have at your willpower in your tool belt to be able to communicate your ideas, your thoughts, your feelings. There's a reason that, you know, we were taught to speak and to read and to express ourselves as really young children. And unfortunately, that's really where it stops. Nobody's taught how to communicate as an adult. We're taught language and we're taught English and literature and things like this. Nobody has a class on communication. How do you communicate with one another? How do you listen? How do you understand? each other. No one is skilled in this. We are all works in progress and we all need a lot of work, present company included. I know that my listening skills and my understanding of people is severely severed and reduced when I'm not actively engaging with real conversations and asking people questions when I'm only limiting my exposure to other people and other thought, their thoughts and ideas and their lives when I'm only limiting it to the internet, to social media, to, to provide me with an accurate representation of what it is that I'm, that I'm seeking out, that I'm interested in, that I'm curious about. And I can also tell that other people are experiencing the same, that they're not getting an accurate representation of people, of ideas, of places. It's it's like, you know, if you want to go on vacation and you look at the destination, you, you, you want to go to Morocco and you look at, you know, the hotel and you look at the photos of Morocco and you, you check the weather and you make plans and you, you make reservations and you book everything for your trip. The idea of the trip, the representation of the trip, the location, the experience is not even close to the actual experience that you have. They cannot be substituted for one another. And the same is true for people and locations and things and any visual, you know, 2D element versus a real life experience. I think also we've all had the the situation, hopefully, where we have a close friend that we've had for a number of years and maybe you've fallen out of touch for a little a little while. And I don't mean that you have you parted on bad terms, but you just haven't spoken in some time. And someone has to make the call, right? So someone might text or you might say something and you check out their Instagram and say something on their Instagram or maybe you shoot them an email. But when you take the time to actually call or answer the call and have the conversation with this person, you always, you always walk away from it feeling good about having done so. You're always pleased and comforted and, you know, reminded that this person is in your life for a reason and that having real conversations with them is incredibly enriching. I'm really lucky to have, you know, quite a few of, of these people in my life. And, you know, the, the times that we do get to have hour-long conversations are not that often, but they're always so much better than, you know, looking at their Snapchat story. And you know how else I can tell that, that they're so different? 
different is that I often will reference things on, on my friend's Snapchat story or, or Instagram or something like this. And I can sell you one on vacation or how was that food you, re- that food you tried or that restaurant you went to or like, where were you when you were, you know, were you at a medieval festival or something? And it, it's very difficult to connect the docs, dots. A lot of times they don't even realize what I'm talking about. And, and other times I'm grossly mistaken or misunderstood the context or the photo the video in general, which again is not giving me any accurate idea of how they're doing and how they're living their lives. You see, and, and never before has this situation taken place. Tristan Harris, as a reminder, Tristan Harris, the Google ethicist, he mentions this as well in reference to the totalizing effect of the internet and social media. Never before has there been a tool that we allow complete access into our lives that we then depend on and allow it to make decisions on our behalf. This doesn't exist on with the telephone. The telephone isn't, you know, trying to sell you products based on your, your phone conversations or collecting your, your data and, and selling it to other phone companies or your television also is not the same totalizing experience as the internet and social media. And that's why it's important to understand exactly what its functionality is, how it's being presented to us, and how we should best go forward in understanding and managing it. There have been few instances in my life where I have gained a lot of insight, understanding from people by being in places where the population is very diverse and fast paced. So New York is the the best example. I also lived in Las Vegas for a short time, which is another great example. LA is a bit like this as well. San Francisco, there are certain transient cities. Dallas is not one. example. But there are certain places where all cultures, again, New York is a great example, cultures, races, every different kind of person, you're forced to interact, to see these people on the subway, the taxi. You have to be quite, uh, I would say, really rich to not ever have to see and deal with the, maybe not even rich is the right way to describe it, but I just say because there are certain accommodations in life that allow you to really be selective about the way you spend your time and the people you spend your time with. And when you're really wealthy, For example, you might just have a town car, so you are driving Miss Daisy and you never see the people on the subway. That movie wasn't set in New York, but you know what I'm saying. Spending a long period of time, they're not just visiting, but really living in these places is what allows you, allows anyone, allows me to be reminded consistently enough that there are other people out there in the world that are not like me. And in my current life, it is also challenging to be able to see different people. I live in Dallas and I live in uptown Dallas, which sounds exactly how it is. And it wasn't until I started delivering groceries for Instacart that I was at all reminded that other people existed in this world other than myself. And that sounds as stupidly pompous as it is because I I hadn't realized how over the years I'd limit, limited my scope of people to just those that I work with, admire, a handful of friends that all have the same values and pretty much in the same lifestyle and with the same opportunity that I have in life. And that became normal, of course, like anyone else. And what I saw online is also a reflection of of this. When I started doing Instacart, however, I realized that I knew nothing and I was but a speck hurtling through space, like Sarah Silverman says. So I know nothing. And the reason why I know that I know nothing is that no one eats the same food that I eat. No one 
lives in the same area of town, lives the same way with the same furniture, the same yard, the same car. They definitely don't interact the same way. Instacart has many advantages to get a good look into the world, given that you're delivering, providing food, sustenance, and bringing it to them. And there are so many different people who use benefit uh, from the service. And it's been so interesting to see how people communicate and to be on the other side, you know, coming from a, a corporate executive to delivering groceries was, no lie, a very humbling experience for me, for sure. It took a lot for me to put on the shirt the first the first day that I worked. I was worried of what people would think. You know, there was a lot of fear associated with that, that I would need to explain myself or something like this. So I recommend it for everyone. But there, again, are few instances where you really get a, a good look at society and to interact with them. And I, I, I talk about this often, actually, when I'm in the grocery store talking to other people who work in the grocery store, because it is unlike any other experience. It is, again, when I lived in Las Vegas, I worked on the strip at a luxury women's boutique at Caesars at the form shops. And each day it was so exciting because there were so many new people. You never knew who was going to walk in the door. No, there was no consistency. And I definitely do not speak Portuguese or understand it, let alone all the other 12, 15 languages that might come in that day. That's exciting to me that I can do something with that. I can learn something from those types of interactions and being able to, to have experiences that are really, that are really varied. And that's what we're missing from our experience online and with social media is that it's not varied. We're not showing a lot of a lot of newness. And people wonder why the country is so divided and we're having, you know, these problems in society and it seems like we're kind of stepping, you know, stepping backwards and we're trying to take steps forward. And that's the reason why we spend so much time. 150 times a day on our devices or on the computer. Now looking at what is really out there, you know, the world isn't so big if all you see are things that have already been approved and catered for you specifically. It's quite small, in fact. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening. And if you have any questions, if you want to take a look at the show notes, you can visit my website, www.mytalkingdollars.com slash podcast, where you will find show notes from this show, other episodes, and you can reach out to me and ask me any question. Let me know what you love, what you hate, what you can't negotiate. I want to hear it all. I appreciate you. I love you. And please, until next time, take care and do more good. Good.